the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Looks like it's time for another con job. Welcome to Ridiculous History. I'm Ben. Is it a long con or a short con, Ben? It's, it's a big con. Mm. It's a you know. As a matter of fact, uh, I, I didn't bring this up with you guys yet, uh, but I have a question for you, Super Producer Casey Pegram. I'm listening. Do you guys think that we do sh- stories about con artists often enough? that we should get a sound cue for like a, a con job? <laughs> and if so, what would it be? Well, there's the, there's the classic dun, dun, dun. Yeah, that's Which true. seems like a dastardly kind of sound effect, you yeah. know, like a snidely whiplash type figure. There's a money sound to like a change register or something, you know. Let's stack these sound effects, baby. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, cons. Uh, today's episode's about a uh, particularly uh, dastardly um, and effective con artist uh, who went by the nickname Big Bertha. You know what comes to my mind when I think of Big Bertha? Uh, I don't know. Circuses? Uh, well, circuses, but I don't know, Casey, if you remember this, but at arcades of my youth, there was a, a, a machine called Big Bertha oh, where totally. you throw like a ball into this like puppety large woman's mouth. Yes, I do Kind of this. macabre and very bizarre, and I never played it because it just didn't seem like much fun. Yeah, it's all coming back to me. It was always in the back of the arcade yes, next yeah, to the yeah. skee-ball machines because it was one of those big, you know, robotic-type machines. You guys have messed up childhoods. Ah, well, that's accurate. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that's what I think of, and I was not aware of the legacy of Bertha Heyman. Yes, so nowadays the term Big Bertha is used to describe an example of a piece of equipment, right? In World War One, there was this huge cannon that the German forces used. Uh, th- this would destroy otherwise invincible forts, and it was called Big Bertha. And now there are some other things named Big Bertha, right? The world's largest earth-moving machine is called Big Bertha. That'd be like a backhoe? Uh, a bulldozer? T- times a million. Yeah. Yeah. A megadozer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... In the 1800s, Big Bertha specifically described this woman who is known as uh, the Confidence Queen or Bertha Heyman. She was born Bertha Schlesinger in Prussia, and she came to the U.S. in 1878. We're getting a lot of this from an interesting book by a guy named Thomas Byrne, Professional Criminals of America. She married twice, uh, once in New York and then again in Wisconsin, and her name, Heyman, comes from her second husband, John Heyman. According to all the reports of the time, she was not, you know, your stereotypical beauty queen or supermodel, but she was incredibly, intensely charismatic. 
Yeah, it's true. Ben, um, she played on people's uh, baser, you know, qualities like hubris and greed and just general awfulness, kind of. So it's interesting. She almost becomes something of like a folk hero uh, in my mind, anyway, uh, where she kind of gives people their comeuppance. Um, because if you're exhibiting those uh, behaviors, and maybe you deserve to to have your your pocket lightened a little bit. Yeah, there's this there's this very American. Uh, romanticization of con artists. You know what I mean? We like the maverick. We like the idea of somebody living by their wits. Mm -hmm. And then especially, uh, we like the idea of people getting their comeuppance for following their baser instincts, right? Being greedy gets somebody built or, uh, you know, being covetous gets someone uh, swindled. So there's this, there's this interesting victim blaming thing. We're like, well, yeah, they lost a hundred bucks, but they deserved it. You know, uh, so shame on them. Bertha Heyman was no exception because people did romanticize her a little bit. And her story is very interesting. We're not going to spoil it yet, but we want you to know this takes a weird turn <laughs> toward the end. So she first got the attention of NYPD in the 1870s. Newspapers instantly recognized that she would be uh, she would make for good headlines. Right. She would move some copies and the newspapers began calling her Big Bertha, and they had some unkind descriptions of her. Oof. It's not age well. The paper was quoted in describing her as 40 years of age, decidedly ugly, and weighing 250 pounds, uh, and, and was constantly taking cheap pot shots at her, her weight, describing her at times as elephantine, which I think is a cute word. It makes me think of a small elephant. You know, an elephantine, like a teeny elephant. Um, but no, that is not what that means. It means large, like an elephant. Or um, they would compare her to a battleship. And I really love this description from Alice Obscura. They say that she was built like a tank, but what she lacked in society-approved feminine wiles, she more than made up with in charisma. And she had an M.O., an M.O. that she was quite proud of. She would claim to be a fabulously wealthy woman who was just for one reason or another having trouble getting to her funds in the held up in court, held up in a bank, etc. And all she would need is a kind male stranger to lend her a little bit of money and she would use that to access her estate and then pay them back handsomely. It's kind of like a Nigerian prince scheme or a predecessor thereof. That's right. Yeah, there's one account on criminalsrevised.blog uh, that's pretty great. Um, in one situation, she was on the way from New York to Chicago, and she struck up a conversation with uh, the train conductor. And, you know, sticking to this uh, this uh, ruse, her go-to ruse, she convinced him that she had lots of assets that needed management. This is kind of a little bit of a variation on, on the basic con, um, but that she had assets that were in need of management, and she literally convinced him to quit his job and take over managing her estate. But first, before you know, she could give him this amazing opportunity, she was in need of a little bit of cash to float her uh, to settle some legal matters. So it's the bait and switch, right? I mean, it's literally like, hey, look over here. Here's this great thing. And then while you're looking over here and thinking about all the great things that can happen to you— you're not thinking about the fact that it's odd that, that this supposedly rich person is, is asking you for a $1,000 loan in cash to settle some matters. I'm doing hard quote fingers right now. Yeah, and furthermore, for her, this wasn't just a job. We get the sense that conning people was a craft to her, a work of art. She told a police chief in Jersey City in 1883 that, she preferred to target men who should know better. The moment I discover a man's a fool, I let him drop, she said. But I delight in getting into the confidence and pockets of men who think they can't be skinned. It ministers to my intellectual pride. We should also note, she got arrested tons of times. Oh, 100%. And, that, and that's that, that train conductor story, uh, just, just to wrap that up, and, and it, it gets us to where we're going. Uh, the guy's name was Mr. Perrin, and he totally did the thing, gave her the money. And then when they got to New York, she just camped out in all these, like, luxury hotels and spent all the money uh, running up the bills and then hired a lawyer to, to you know, to— 
take her case because she knew what was coming. But even the lawyer, like she she didn't pay him either. So her own lawyer ended up like teaming up essentially with Mr. Perrin, um, who was the conductor, and they took legal action against her to recover the money that she had borrowed and also for the unpaid uh, legal fees. This arrest um, is what led her husband, uh, John Heyman, to fly the coop. He was, he'd had enough. And what year was that? That was in 1880. Yeah, perfect, because we're building this timeline of a master criminal's career. Because um, this this occurred while she had been drifting around New York, right? She was stealing watches. She was forging checks. Uh, and then she was in and out of the penitentiary. In 1881, she was leaving court because she'd been acquitted on a charge of theft when she was arrested by New York detectives and charged with scamming New York businessmen. And then she went to prison for two years. So she almost got away, almost got acquitted of one crime, but was locked away for two years due to an unrelated con. And even when she was in jail, she was conning people in the Early 1880s, while she was locked up on Blackwell's Island, Bertha befriended and conned a guy out of his life savings. About $900 worth, that's that's the equivalent of over $20,000 today. And then when she got out of jail, she did not turn over New Leaf. She did not learn anything. Uh, she just went back to conning people. And she expands her... Uh, her sphere of operations. Maybe there was too much heat in New York. Uh, our next Bertha escapade takes place in San Francisco. Right? Oh, so she basically was like on the lamb. <laughs> she had to flee the scene. She was persona non grata and any other numbers of uh, hyperbolic things that I could call her right now. But it's true. She did turn up in San Francisco in 1888. Um, and in this uh, particular story, she actually cons a man of God, uh, which is, you know, I don't know, maybe he maybe he did something bad. Maybe he deserved his comeuppance. I don't know. I think it's possible that that uh, is less important than it is to her just to, you know, get paid. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over six million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right. No, it's it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
So when she gets to San Francisco in 1888, she finds this rabbi uh, of the Beth Israel Congregation and introduces herself as Bertha Stanley and says that, she, you know, you starts with the same kind of gimmick. I'm a widow of, of wealth and uh, is looking for a nice Jewish husband. Um, the rabbi's name, by the way, was Dr. A.J. Messing. And he and Bertha had been acquainted from from Prussia, from back in the old country. During her childhood, yeah. Uh, so she is buttering up this guy. And she tells this rabbi that she's inherited 300 grand, which is around $6 million, maybe more in today's cash. Uh, And she got this from her husband, and her husband was Christian, but she told the rabbi she wanted her next marriage to be with someone of the Jewish faith. So she decided she was going to offer $1,000 to anyone who could help her find an acceptable Jewish husband. And so the rabbi steps in, and he introduces her to a fellow named Abraham Grun. And, you know, again, back to the uh, the charisma, which she had copious amounts of, was just oozing with charisma, despite her, uh, can we say homely? Is that is that unkind? It's better than uh, elephantine, I right. would say. Oh, and elephantine, I wanted to add, elephantine is not just being large. Yeah. It's also being awkward and clumsy. It's kind of like calling someone uh, a klutz. Yeah. A a big klutz. Well, she clearly uh, wasn't a klutz, at least in terms of the way she orchestrated these uh, balletic feats of swindlery. Is swindlery a word? It is now. Um, So yeah, this guy, Gruen? Grunman? What's his name? Grun. Grun. Just adding syllables to everything today. Uh, falls madly in love with Bertha. Uh, she works her magic on him, and he is eating out of her hand, in the palm of her hand, wrapped around her finger, and such. Yeah, so he proposes marriage shortly after. Very her. quickly. Very right. quickly, like Vegas-style quickly. Oh, red flag. And he also says, I'm going to adopt this young man accompanying you, your stepson, Willie Stanley. Wait, who? She brought, she had <laughs> this, this is, other guy with her. This is a new, this is a new character? This is yeah. a new addition? Yeah, Willie. Tell me about Willie. Uh, Willie Stanley was not, in fact, her stepson. <laughs> okay. Just put that out there. Okay. Grun, uh, Grun is, you know, he's head over heels. He's over the moon. Have we mentioned that he's he's pretty wealthy in his own right? He's a, oh, yeah, he's, he's, a, yeah. he's loaded. He's a, you know, even back then, San Francisco, uh, you may remember in Deadwood, uh, that's where all the fancy men lived, was in San Francisco. And Wu called them San Francisco uh, C-word. Uh, check it out yourself. It's it's, it's a delightful show. Um, <laughs> San Francisco characters. Characters, exactly. Uh, but yeah, it's, you know, so he um, had uh, quite a bit of wealth uh, himself, and she, of course, knew this. Like, I, I imagine, how do you think she worked it you know, because she couldn't determine who the rabbi would set her up with. Well, this is this is interesting because she can have more influence than maybe the rabbi would perceive. Mm. You know, there's always some valid reason. And if you're manipulating people's emotions, then you can always set up these emotional boundaries where, no, I'm not okay with this guy because of a tragedy that happened. And it would be ungentlemanly and unseemly for you to ask me any more about it. Not only that, I mean, you know, if you're asking a a, a rabbi uh, who you know from childhood to set you up with a um, a gentleman suitor, mm-hmm. you know, he the understanding would be it would be someone who could take care of you, someone who could provide, you know, who would be a uh, a candidate for marriage, right? Also, Abraham Grun, I don't know if we mentioned this part, was the brother-in-law of the rabbi. He was the brother-in-law of A.J. Messing. Oh, the plot thickens. Mm-hmm. So as you say, Ben, as we've said, Bertha has absolutely charmed the pants off of San Francisco society through uh, her, her boy Grun and finds herself at the very top of, of the heap there in the Beth Israel congregation. Mm-hmm. And she does something that is key in a lot of confidence scams. She gives some money to the congregation as a gift. Oh, duh, and I'm a, I'm a dummy. She was posing as a very wealthy woman. Right. So, of course, she would be set up with a very wealthy man. 
one of, one of her station, right? And then so she gives him a check for $1,000, and she says there's much, much more to come. So people love this new, mysterious uh, widow Stanley, right? She also, this, this is where it gets interesting. She also tells her fiancé, Grun, you know, my stepson Willie is just kind of against this marriage. Um, could you do something? Could you talk to him? And so Grun gives Willie 500 bucks. Essentially pays him off, and then Willie says, "Okay, uh, also, Mister Grun, uh, let me see all the those jewels that you have that you're going to give to my mom. Uh, I'd like to reset them in a way that she would appreciate. It'll be a surprise from you and I." And so Abraham Grun says, "Okay, yeah, sounds good. It sounds nice, you know. It sounds like she's thoughtful, thinking of others, you know. It sounds like Willie and Grun have buried the hatchet mm-hmm. and are now making a surprise for mom." Exactly, exactly. She's really presenting that, like, doting wife kind of image mm-hmm. uh, very successfully. Then, of course, Willie and Bertha take off. Uh, they fly the coop. Uh, do we know much more about Willie? Was she, she was just, like, her new partner, kind of, in crime, uh, but yet young enough to to appear to be her nephew? It's interesting because we don't know a ton about the guy called Willie Stanley. We do know that he may have been the same person as Dr. J.E. Coombs. What? He may have assumed different identities depending on the con. You know what I mean? So maybe they had a working relationship. Maybe they were related. Yeah, the record isn't entirely clear on that, but we do know that he uh, was himself a confidence man, and I guess they leagued up. Yeah, absolutely. And they absolutely leagued up uh, together when they flew the coop in San Francisco to Los Angeles, only after uh, lightening Mr. Grun's uh, load of precious jewels. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, that check bounced. Right. As reported by the San Francisco Examiner, Abraham Grun becomes suspicious when that check, that $1,000 check Bertha wrote to the congregation, bounces. He visits... Isaiah Lees. Isaiah Lees at the time is San Francisco's captain of detectives. Lees hears Grun out, listens to the story, notes the important details, and something about this con seems familiar to him. So he reaches for a book. And in this book, he turns to photograph number 122 and he shows it to Abraham Grun. Is this the woman you're describing? He asks. Grun is dumbfounded. He is in shock, and he slowly nods something to the tune of, yes, that's that's my fiancé. The book you see was Professional Criminals of America, the book we mentioned earlier by Thomas F. Burns, who was, by the way, the chief of detectives in New York City. The description that Grun found read, Bertha Heyman, alias Big Bertha, Confidence Queen. And can you imagine, you're about to get married to this person. Right. You've you've adopted their stepson. And now you're learning that she has a rap sheet uh, longer than the Mississippi, that she has been in and out of jail and that you have been completely played. Yeah, that's not a good day. No, no, no. What would you what, what would you do, Ben? How would you feel? Would you have like a what, what do you think would be going through your head in that situation? What a, a revenge. Uh, oh, if I'm one of those people. Yeah. Um, Gosh, you know, uh, I guess you'd have to be, it's embarrassing, sure, it's humiliating, right? Uh, But you would have to be happy that you did not actually lose your entire fortune. You just lost 500 bucks. And and, some jewels. And some jewels. Yeah. No, it's true. The embarrassing part is is key, I think, because uh, not only this was a uh, con that his whole uh, friend group and uh, upper echelon of the community that he was a member of would have been aware of. Probably not a good look. Everyone's going to think he's a sucker now, right? Right. Yeah, it's a shame. And, of course, uh, Grun follows up with the police, and the San Francisco police issue a warrant for Bertha's arrest. The heat gets to her and Willie. They leave L.A., but they get captured in Texas, right? That's right. And uh, she, uh, uh, this, this San Francisco Examiner piece describes her reaction as being outraged innocence. Uh, righteous indignation is what I like to say. Um, and she really became uh, kind of a darling in the public eye because of, you know, kind of like Bonnie and Clyde. You know, again, that that whole idea of that victim blaming that we're talking about where people worship baddies because they, they're looked at as like Robin Hood-esque figures, even though they're really kind of just in it for themselves. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
So this is where we see a very interesting twist. Bertha becomes a celebrity of sorts. When they are arrested in Texas, Bertha is acquitted and Willie is found guilty in a trial that is surrounded by the paparazzi and looky-loos and so on. The judge apparently had a tough time forcing his way through the crowd to reach the bench. Willie goes up to San Quentin for a bit, and Bertha's story spreads across San Francisco, which leads a man named Ned Foster to make an introduction. You see, Ned Foster saw an opportunity in Bertha's strange celebrity or strange moment, they would call it in the PR biz. And he said, hey, you're great at, you know, uh, Connery or whatever, but why not check out showbiz? And so Bertha ends up doing, this is a true story, a one-woman show uh, for this with this guy. He bailed her out of jail in Texas. Yeah, he's basically like a uh, promoter of sorts, like a showman. Um, and they launch a booking at the Woodward's Garden, and 18,000 people came to see her, uh, her story, um, where she kind of presented herself as the victim in uh, it's kind of like an epic poem, I guess, called The Confidence Queen. Uh, would you like to do it? Would you bless us with a reading, Ben? Oh, shall we? Okay. <clears throat> so when vain-grasping men pant for glittering gold and find their bonanza in me, is it wicked to show up how badly they're sold and the rogues that men can sometimes be? I think they lost a little bit of the meter at the end, but you see what they're doing. It's yeah, yeah. Romanticizing. They're, they're doing exactly what we described at the very top of the show, uh, selling that image even further, which I think is uh, almost another act of con artistry in itself. Yes, agreed, agreed. And she uh, gets booked at the Bella Union. So now instead of getting booked by police, she's getting booked by promoters. Yeah. And this is a big deal because at the time, the Bella Union is the most popular venue for music in San Francisco. Uh, there's a great way that the San Francisco Examiner puts this. She discovered her lack of talent was no barrier to popularity. <laughs> well, we, we we can relate to that, can't we, Ben? <laughs> a, little too, a little too easily. She was paired with the, of course, the uh, world-famous Oofty Goofty. A uh, personal favorite. Yeah, I'm sure we're all familiar with Oofty Goofty. Uh, but just in case someone's been living under a rock all these years, Noel, who, could you tell us a little bit about Oofty Goofty? Yeah, he was like a, a what, Barbary Coast, which would be like a pirate situation, right? Yeah, uh, and he his his shtick was that he was a human punching bag, um, and they would do these boxing matches that were staged, and um, she would knock him out, you know, Mike Tyson punch out style, and then uh, decided to take it a step further and add a little humor, um, and Foster thought it'd be really cute to cast them in a in a version of Romeo and Juliet. Oh, I should amend this real quick. The Barbary Coast that they're referring to is a red light district in San Francisco. Oh, snap. Okay. So they, they're they pirates of a sort, but the, the main thing we need to know about this guy is that— Sexy pirates? Uh, you know, it, it, it depends on what you're into. There's sure. something out there for everyone. Yeah. San Francisco's a big town. I mean, it's all on the table in, in San Francisco, that's in the red light say. district. That's what they say. That is what they say. Uh, <laughs> but the most important thing to know about this, this guy, this Barbary Coast character, Oofty Goofty, is that he literally made a living by letting people— beat the snot out of him for money. Mm -hmm. That's a weird, that's a weird gig. To me, you know what that feels like? That feels like an occupation someone would have in a French art house film. It sure does. Yeah, have you seen that film, Casey? You know, uh, I can't think of any French art house films off the top of my head. However, there's a uh, unrealized Harmony Korean project called Fight Harm, where he went out on the street with like a hidden camera and just tried to goad people into beating the crap out of him. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And he filmed like two or three fights. I think he ended up in jail one time and uh, and then decided the film was like impossible to complete because he was going to be dead by the time he finished it. Casey on the case. Always. Gee, that was Always. Today I learned something. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, 
Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville's. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yeah, so it turns out this show is a hit. And soon, Bertha is going on tour across the West Coast, and she also has an open invitation to any men in the audience to try to wrestle her. And she generally knocks them out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's the heavy, uh, no pun intended. Oh, and the, yeah. The heel, the heel. Is that better? Uh, the heel's the bad guy in wrestling. Okay. Right? Well, yeah. That makes sense. Like, yeah. Or she's, I, I, you know, she's the big ticket. There you go. So she's a little beyond, she's in a very Nietzschean way. She, she is beyond the good and evil of wrestling. I got to stop with these Nietzsche references. Anyhow, there's one more twist. Uh, Love this story. It's not even really a twist, is it? Because it's what we kind of expected her to do. She tells her manager that her suitcase has a false bottom. So it's got a hidden compartment. And that compartment, she says, contains $10,000 worth of Canadian bonds and thousands of dollars in jewelry. She says, will you handle the sale for me? And they negotiate over the next few days how to move these bonds and this jewelry. And while they're doing that, Bertha is repeatedly borrowing just small sums of money from her manager, from Foster. Yeah. So the guy that gave her a new lease on life, uh, the ability to kind of go straight, she ultimately totally betrayed him. Yeah. Yeah. Con, uh, con sound cue. Big time. 
So uh, he agrees that he'll pay her $1,600 U.S. for the trunk. But before doing so, he sneaks into her room, and there Foster discovers that the false bottom was itself false. It was a fake, fake bottom. So she burned that bridge. It looks like she burned a lot of bridges. But to her, she said that she didn't care about the money she made from the con jobs. She said she gave it away to needy people. But the records show that was also a lie. Like many con artists, she just robbed everyone she could, and she kept as much as she could. Yeah. And, uh, you know, all, all through this research, I was like, gosh, I want to see this as a movie. And it's uh, it could well be a possibility. One of my favorite comedians and from one of the only podcasts that I listen to, uh, How Did This Get Made? Paul Shear um, has been seriously considering turning this into a film. Um, he refers to her as a badass con woman who was not conventionally attractive. And then he cites the New York Times referring to her uh, as Bertha is a stout, gross looking woman. And it's difficult to imagine how she succeeded in ensnaring so many victims by appeals to their confidence. Um, I, for one, would love to see Paul Scheer uh, tackle tackle this film. Agreed. And I know that we are all collectively on the edge of our seats here, wondering if we can hear more about Oofty Goofty, who I would like to see played by uh, Willem Dafoe mm-hmm. in, this, in this film. 100%. Uh, he was born in Berlin. His name was Borchardt. Yeah, born in Berlin as Leonard or Leon Borchardt. That's right, and really became a part of the San Francisco vaudeville scene starting in 1884, where he did a freak show where he played uh, a kind of a stock character that you'd see in a lot of uh, dime museums on Market Street, some of which are still – I think there actually is a coin – Muse- a coin-operated arcade machine museum uh, in San Francisco that you can go see today. I don't know if I'm getting the name right. But he played this wild man of Borneo character, which is kind of, like, racist. Kind of? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's incredibly uh, racist. They, they painted him in glue, covered him in horsehair, and then he would grunt, oofty, goofty. After three weeks, though, he had to be hospitalized to get the fur and the glue off that in this process probably took some skin with it. That's how he got the name Oofty Goofty. He would regularly appear in local papers for his various antics. He drank six bottles of beer in six minutes with a teaspoon. That w- uh, He shipped himself to Sacramento in a box. Uh, he was in a bunch of weird contests. And then, you know, eventually he <laughs> let people beat him blind uh, for money. And then by 1900, he settled in Houston where he disappears. It's true. Um but, you know, he left us with a with a pretty fantastic story, um, as was the story of uh, of Big Bertha. Yep. And this concludes our episode. But not our... Really? Is this are you serious? We kind of asked for it. But no, but this happened in the last episode. Whatever. It's time, gentlemen. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No fair. I'm well, calling no fair. Jonathan you Strickland. You said bring it. It's I did. already I been did. rotten. I did say that. Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. the Quizster, two episodes in a row. Lightning How does strike twice. Tootin'. How dare you? Welcome to Ridiculous Quizstery. <laughs> yes, I'm taking it all over. Every episode will have a Quizster segment. I can't back that up. I have to go out of town. But... I thought perhaps I could uh, at least join you for this subsequent episode since you were so very, very confident at the end of our last meeting. Well, you know, I mean, it was nice to have a little win. Yeah. Uh, And also, it turns out the tally isn't that far off at this point. Two down. Two down. Uh, 13-11. 13-11 Quizster. And we know that thanks to you, Matthew Now in AU. Matthew with one T. Yeah, how'd uh, that happen? Casey found that for us, so we wanted to give you a, a specific shout-out there, Matthew. Thank you for tallying the score. We'll try to keep track of it, but we could only get to that point with your help. Uh, speaking of uh, the opposite of help, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister, are, are we doing the thing again? We are, we are. I'm going to present to you a historical scenario. Whereupon, at the end, you will have three minutes to decide whether I am giving you a real moment in history or if I made it upsies. And you will be able to ask me questions to clarify things following a rule of arbitrary nature, which I will reveal to you after I do the scenario. Now, we talked... I have falafel in my throat, by the way. It's, it was a really good falafel, but it's, it's a little dry. It's, it's a, a good dry. look for you. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so... 
You were talking about uh, uh, something of a, a scam artist, a con artist, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I thought I would follow that trend with a scenario about a pretender. Ready? I am. Uh, I let me hang on. I was sitting on the whole seat. It's like you, you I just need the edge. The edge. Yes. I will just sit on the edge. Okay, I'm ready. Wallachia is best known to us as the principality that Vlad the Impaler, the inspiration for Dracula, ruled over in the mid-15th century. But it also has the distinction of being a region with the shortest rule on record. Petru III has that distinction of ruling Wallachia for only 12 minutes leading many to say that he never really was the ruler of Wallachia at all, making him a pretender. At the time, Wallachia was in a state of civil war as numerous families vied for leadership, plus it was fending off attacks from the Ottoman Empire, and poor Petru III, who was both great-grandson and, you great-great-nephew to Vlad the Impaler, inherited the position from his father, Menea III, who was too ill to lead. But under tremendous pressure from numerous forces, Petru III abdicated the position as soon as he could sign the document to do so. Later, loyalists would support Petru III as rightful ruler, even though Petru showed no signs of interest in ruling and was, in fact, locked safely away in another powerful family's prison. Now, your arbitrary rule is that if you wish to ask me a question, you must preface it with, Blah, blah. <laughs> Begin the timer. Okay, hang on. Let me get a running start. All right. I forgot it's in the other room. You you guys really need to get back into the other studio. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened. Uh, so. All right, go, go. Uh, blah, blah. Yes, Mr. Bullen. What, excuse me, what, uh, what time period are we talking This here? would be 1527 when this happened. 1527. Mm. So I wonder, uh, this is just... Uh, th- this is to you guys, and also Casey. I noticed that you never back us up during this segment. Uh, this, this is a well. I mean, to be yeah. fair, we, we we don't pull him in. Yeah, we don't want to make him suffer the ignominy of defeat. We also discovered last episode that he's semi in league with Jonathan. That's right. As his alter ego, Labouche, yeah. plays both sides. Mm. So the thing that's interesting here is 1527 makes me wonder how they could have as precise an estimate as 12 minutes. You know what Mm. I mean? Jonathan made a face. Just a a maze that you've never heard of things like an hourglass. It's called an hourglass, not a minute glass, bro. Fair enough. I think, you know, I'm just... I'm just posing that as an interesting thing. Perhaps we'll learn about horology and the study of time on the way here. Uh, But what what do you think? I... I kind of, I don't know, man. I've been going through this optimistic phase. It was I, such a dull one. I've kind of forgotten what it was about, honestly, at this point. It's about the, it, w- it was about the pretender to the throne who was thought to have been technically the ruler of Wallachia for 12 minutes before oh, he signed the, the paper. Kicker. That's the yeah. kicker. The 12 minutes, I see. Before he signed the paper and said huh. he didn't want to be. Uh, he abdicated, but he had a mob of people who still wanted him to be the ruler. Mm. Jonathan, by this, this this is an audio podcast. I, know, I, I want you all to know the the just the level, the offensive level of glee on this guy's face as he looks back and forth from <laughs> us. I know. Uh, I, it sounds. Mm. Do you want to just say true? It's probably wrong. I don't know. Probably. <laughs> you know what we should just do? What? Let's just rock paper scissor it and just all go right. with you know. All right. All right, wait, who's true and who's false? Uh, I'll be true again. Right. It doesn't matter. All right. One, two, three, mm-hmm. shoot. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going false then. This, this takes all the fun out of it <laughs> when you're literally leaving it up to chance. <laughs> I mean, why am I even coming in here? All right. No, no, no. Give us give, what's what's this? Well, you're technically correct, which as we all know, <laughs> is the best kind of correct. That's why you're mad. Because it's and you're not even using your freaking <laughs> faculties. You're well, literally jo- jo- just, can I make a fist? Or Jonathan. Make, also, to- Ben, you got to get better at rock, paper, scissors because you're always wrong. Jonathan, to be fair, unless we knew this story specifically, 
How, what are we? What, I mean, it is up to. I don't know. Like, how That's are why we? You have to use. You have to use. Your, we did. Your we we are. Thing. No, no, no. You're, you're saying, too good at this, saying, sir. Let's flip a coin. All right. Well, let me let me give yeah, you yeah, the, yeah. let me give you some some real history. As okay. Because I, I like to. So there is no Petru the Third. There was a Petru the Second, but there was no Petru the Third. There was no Menea the Third. There was a Menea the Second, but there was no Menea the Third. None of that was real. However, there is the story of a uh, a dauphin. In mm-hmm. France, uh-huh. who technically was the regent of France for all of 20 minutes before he abdicated the throne. So that was what I based it off of. He has uh, the record of the shortest reign, and that's only assuming that you count it as being a legitimate reign. And a lot of people don't because he essentially abdicated shortly after his father had also abdicated the throne. So it was the Revolution of 1830, as I recall. But uh, that was uh, that was the basis from which I drew inspiration, mm-hmm. and um, yeah. So, so why'd you add the vampire bit in there? Because that was I was trying to think of a kingdom that you probably wouldn't know anything about. Oh well. So I went with Wallachia, which and, and then said the one thing that anybody knows about exactly, that place. exactly because you know it's a real place and you know it's a real person. Mm-hmm. So that that anchors it in reality. Yeah, and you know you. There were an awful – if you look at the list of people who ruled that principality, it goes back and forth 50 times in a 20-year span among two or three different families, most of whom are related to one another through blood or marriage at least once or twice. So that was why. Bloodlines, huh? Yeah. Which is weird because even during um, these periods of just robust and ferocious incest – People knew, without being geneticists, people knew that there were disadvantages to that, right? Mm, it, it certainly manifested itself quite clearly in a few very notable Habsburgs, historic cases. Yes, yeah. the Habsburgs in particular. Yeah. The last of the Habsburgs was, mm, wow. Mm, what a jaw. I, what was it? He's like, I am the king and I want pudding or something like that? Uh, it, so the, the <laughs> there was a character on uh, 30 Rock mm-hmm. that was based off of that. Yes, played by uh, Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee. Oh, the little kind of mm-hmm. weedy guy. It was based mm-hmm. off of the actual historical Habsburgs, although that was obviously centuries earlier. You're no fun. <laughs> we're, we're a lot of fun. 13, 12. Yeah, we're yes. one down. One down. Yeah. Also, it occurs to me that in setting out this this strange, what you call the most cringeworthy segment in podcasting, mm-hmm. uh, in setting out this strange endeavor, we never had a milestone to play toward. It's just this game that will continue not entirely consensually because I w- – like. This is the first time you showed up in consecutive episodes. I do love the idea of being able to vanquish you uh, by – exceeding your number by one. And then perhaps you'll just vanish in a puff of smoke, perhaps, or... Come back with a new segment? Maybe. First, I refuse to be vanquished by people who are effectively drunken, blindfolded, (laughs) and firing arrows blindly and just happening to hit the target. (laughs) Okay, look. That's just like your opinion, man. Uh, Very good Big Lebowski. Maybe we didn't... uh, Okay, I'll be honest. Maybe I don't seem as 100% committed to the idea of competition, I, I might be phoning it in a little with a rock, little paper, bit, scissors. You think? Yeah, yeah. With, with that. Uh, but that's just because, you know, the competition is just an excuse to hang out and learn more history, in well, my opinion. To be fair, rock, paper, scissors has been part of the equation since the beginning, so. Uh, no, I remember. <laughs> Once in a while, you two both agree on something, which is much more fun for me because either it means that you 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 arrived at the right answer, which case, ooh, I lose, ooh, or you <laughs> more amusingly choose the wrong answer, and then I, I, I get to do my little dance. Yeah, I know, man. I've seen your blog. I know about the dance. Yeah, it's, I've got this whole gif thing on Facebook <laughs> now. It's called the Orange Injustice. Mm. <laughs> well, Thank you so much for coming on the show again, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quizzer. See you next week. (laughs) Come on, man. Uh, I mean, I'm going to be on a boat. You guys are safe. Oh, yeah, but are you? (laughs) Well, that that really isn't up to me, is it? No, I'll tell you something, man. You need to be careful with Labouche. Like, the the hand that—one hand heals and the other harms. This guy's no joke. Is he— 
Is he a pirate on the side? <laughs> we don't really know exactly what he gets up to. Which case would be one hand heals and the other hook hurts, really. Right. Well, our friendship with Casey Pegram, a.k.a. LaBouche, is based uh, primarily on us not asking questions That's about fair. his double That's or fair. treble lives. Uh, but thanks to Casey, thanks to you, thanks to Gabe Luzier, our research assistant. Thanks to Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Thanks to Christopher Hasiotis here in spirit. Thanks to Eve's Jeff Coat and uh, all of the ridiculous historians out there in podcast land. And, and most importantly, Ben, thanks to you, bud. Thanks to you, pal. Uh, also, thanks to people who have the last name Heyman. I think it's just such a cool last name. Hey, man. Agreed. See you next time, folks. Blast. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways, rolling vineyards, and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.